This episode of the Door County Pulse podcast is brought to you in part by the Door County Community Foundation, inspiring people to give back, to sustain, and advance the community that we love. To learn more, visit givedoorcounty.org. Hello and welcome to the Door County Pulse podcast. I'm Andrew Clyden and I'm joined today by Miles Danhausen, writer and editor for The Pulse. How's it going, Miles? Good. How are you doing, Andrew? I'm doing well. We are gearing up for another fun-filled weekend of stuff to do. And we have 4th of July coming right around the corner. And there's some stuff that I want to talk about that's happening this weekend and beyond. But before we get into events, let's talk a little bit of news. Because if we tell people the fun stuff that they can go do right now, they're going to stop listening and go do that. And we want them to hear the And we want to prevent that. Right. So a couple things just to kind of chat about briefly, the Nicolay Bank building, the old one, not the new one, uh, the one that is across the street from the new one that they built, what was that, two years now ago at this point, uh, that building has sold. Yeah. Newbies to the county, we'll call it the Nicolay Bank building. Moderate newbies to the county, we'll call it the Bay Lake building. And then uh, old timers will call it the Bank of Sturgeon Bay building. That's mm. the many iterations of that bank. But yeah, the, the building that sat empty for about two years on uh, the corner of Egg Harbor Road and 4th Avenue, finally sold, sold for about $450,000. And it's going to be kind of like a co-working rental retail space from the opening release that we've gotten. Hmm. So kind of a a cool idea for that spot in Surgeon Bay. Yeah, definitely. It's a a good spot to put something cool into that people can interact with because of its location and everything and just kind of further expands Sturgeon Bay's offerings. When I first heard that the Nicolay Bank building had sold, I thought that they were talking about the one in Fish Creek. (laughs) which is still empty. Uh, I used to work there. And one bit of trivia that I heard while I was there was that it was kind of built so that if it wasn't going to be a bank forever, it could always be turned into something else, right? Had the high ceilings, kind of open concept. The vault was tucked away in one corner of it. So you could easily take that down and continue to use the rest of the space. So I'd be interested to hear when that finally does sell, what it'll be, because it could be pretty much anything. A restaurant could go in there, anything. Yeah, it's a weird location right at the bottom of that hill for access purposes, but it's weird thinking of that being anything other than a bank <laughs> yeah. from my childhood memories. You know, speaking of the, the Sturgeon Bay one, it's going to be interesting what they do with the building from a aesthetic standpoint, because that is a classic old bank with just big brick walls and no seeing in or out, it seems. like if, I, if I'm thinking of that building, not a lot of architectural wonder to it. So it'll be cool to see what kind of repurposing is done in that situation. Right. Let's, uh, let's head all the way up to the opposite side of the peninsula and tell me about Mariner's Park up in Gills Rock. Yeah, uh, way up on the tip of the peninsula. I was actually up there this morning. We're recording this Wednesday afternoon. I was there early this morning taking some photos of that property. Listeners might remember Gills, Town of Liberty Grove purchased a couple of parcels on the shoreline there for $1.45 million in 2018, if I'm remembering correctly. And plans for that property are finally coming to fruition. When they purchased it, the town said, hey, we don't have any plan for this. We're going to listen to residents, see what they want to do. We don't have any budget for improvements here, so it's going to be a slow-going process. The other thing, when they purchased it, Betty Weborg was allowed to live on it until she finished her new house. So they couldn't really do a lot right away with that property other than like some kind of shoreline improvements. So Betty has moved, and so the public can finally access that property. There's not a lot there, however. There's a couple of benches, picnic table, and just a beautiful view of the water in Garrett Bay. But um, they're in the process. They have the house there is out for bids. So if somebody wants to move a house from the grounds, 
a single family home, they can put in bids through July 6th, which right now that with the housing costs, the building costs, what they are, might be a good opportunity for somebody. And then they'll start kind of taking apart a couple of the old fishing shacks that are there that would make for cool old historical relics, but they're in really rough shape. So it sounds like what they're going to do is either demo those buildings or take them apart and see if there's things they can reuse maybe on the property for displays and things like that, or maybe sell that off to raise some money for the property. Is there a, is there like an overall plan for what Mariners Park might look like in a couple of years? So right now they're budgeting for small scale improvements because the town has not committed any major dollars to it. They haven't gotten any big grant money for it and they haven't had a big donor step forward and say, Hey, I want to do this with the property, uh, I'll give you this X dollars for it or anything. So they have plans over time to fix up the dock there. That's basically a break wall full of rocks right now and potentially do some things with swimming access and more access to the water, a fishing pier. Maybe there would be playground facilities, some improved landscaping, some kind of light touch parking added to that area. There was some talk about doing a kayak launch there, but essentially the Garrett Bay kayak boat launch where you launch kayaks It's kind of right around the harbor, so it would be kind of redundant with that use. So it wouldn't make a lot of sense to make that a priority there. But right now they don't have big dollars to put toward it. So it's not like uh, Sister Bay's Waterfront Park where after they bought the properties, they put a lot of money into developing those properties. That is not something that Liberty Grove has done yet until maybe voters push them to say, hey, let's invest in this. Right. So at this point, it's basically, you know, create a clean slate and then from there, the work can be done to do whatever the plan will eventually be. Right. And one of the things they have in there is like, it's like a four phase plan to do over four or five years is spend about 400,000, about 110,000 is what the ad hoc committee has asked for, for next year to spend on improvements. But, you know, in the long-term plan, it's hiring an engineer to do a, a full scale plan for it and have a more cohesive effort there. There was an effort by um, a couple of residents, I think it was Mike Barkey and Steve Etaw, who came forward with a plan of their own a couple of years ago, and I, I believe have been a little bit upset with like the, the pace of things up there, but I don't know if they knew that they couldn't do anything until Betty Weborg moved out, and then COVID obviously slowed some things down. But they came up with sort of a plan for use of the property, but that wasn't really put together by the village. I mean, it's good for the, a community member to come forward and say, here are some ideas, but it wasn't like an officially sanctioned village committee plan sort of thing. So right. Could be a slow roll for that. Unless somebody comes forward with a major push to either convince the town to spend a lot of money or come forward with a, with donor money. Sure. But it is a beautiful spot. If you want to have a picnic, there's a couple picnic tables, big grassy area. And it's an amazing view up there. Right. There's a piece that Jessica Gadso wrote for the arts and entertainment section this week that I wanted to talk a little bit about because it's kind of an educational piece for our readers. And it's also just an interesting thing that I have been thinking about a little bit ever since I started working with Peninsula Filmworks. So when I came in, we started doing more social media videos for The Pulse. And there was always this idea of like, okay, how do we tell our readership that we've got videos online? And what's the Mm -hmm. best way to get them engaged with our online content when they're reading through the paper? And so I had suggested QR codes. I'm sure they'd been used intermittently before that. But we thought the best way to do it was to give them a, a 48-character URL with a bunch of gobbledygook, and they would remember that. Right, dorkhoneypulse.com slash videos slash welcome hyphen to hyphen egg hyphen harbor. <laughs> yes. Hyphen. Ampersand. Yeah. Exclamation right. point. So uh, QR codes have, has kind of been on my mind for a while, but I always had this kind of nagging feeling in the back of my head that like, I've known about QR codes 
forever, but they never really took off, right? Yeah. Because you have to download an app in order to use them. And then I found out that that has not been the case for like five years or more <laughs> because both Apple and Google have QR code readers built into their default camera app on your phone. So I would say 99% of all people with phones have a camera app that can scan a QR code natively without having to download anything. Right. So that makes the, the QR code, the quick response code, it makes it a lot faster for people to be able to use. If you see one in the paper or you see one out and about, you don't have to go, oh, hang on, let me download this app. I wonder what this is. Because once you make people have to do something like that, the odds of them doing it drop exponentially. Yeah. And so like, what, like probably seven, maybe 10 years ago when it was like QR codes, this is the new thing. This is going to be everywhere. And then a lot of people tried them and then they just kind of disappeared and they were pretty low usage after just like a year. Right. They were like the segue of the time. Yeah. And, and they weren't super widely spread. So you might see one every six months, every year that you'd want to scan. And then it's like, oh, I got a new phone since the last time I scanned a QR code and so I have to find the app. And mm -hmm. there's 50 apps in the app store and which one is safe and is going to have a bunch of weird ads. But now you just open up your camera app and you can scan them. And so we have been kind of testing the waters and using QR codes in the paper for a couple of weeks now, linking to things like our daily e-newsletter, podcast episodes, videos that go with different things. And the reason why we started doing it more is because started noticing a lot more people in Door County using them, primarily restaurants and cafes and coffee shops and stuff like that. Yeah, COVID kind of just forced people to get back to it. Well, yeah, because they, they offer a bunch of different interesting opportunities, right? So in the cities, you see a lot of restaurants substituting QR codes for their menus. And maybe that was an eco-friendly thing to start with, but exacerbated by COVID because it's like, well, we don't want to wipe down these menus every single time or have to laminate them or throw menus out in between each person. Yep. So by printing the QR code right on the tablecloth, you just scan it, you've got your menu, you can order, all that kind of stuff. When I was down in Florida in April, that was uh, the first time I saw a lot of that down in Clearwater because you'd sit down and looking around for menus and they, you'd just see the waitresses go up to every table and have to tell them, actually our menu's right here on their napkin holder, just scan this QR code. And, and so here we are at a table, like all of us looking at our phones. It was a little weird at first, but then it was all over down there. And we came back here and what, a couple of places maybe have picked that up? Yeah. And then I saw more and more, even in Bailey's Harbor, there were a bunch of places. I saw a QR code at Bearded Heart. I saw one at DCBC Eats outside of the brewing company. Uh, I know that JR is looking at using them as food trucks. Uh, and that's another place that they're great for because- JR they, is JR from Chives. Yes. But that, that's another place where they're great to use because you can get people to skip the line, right? Instead of standing close together- you know, over the last year, waiting and placing your food order, then going down and sitting down, you can literally walk up, scan the code, place your order while you're seated, and then they'll call your name out when it's done. Mm -hmm. That's, I think that's the goal. I don't know if they're doing that already at this point. Which is helpful, especially if you, you're short staffed, like places that used to have somebody who had to wait on a table could just call your name and shout for you. <laughs> right. So uh, we're seeing them used in a bunch of different ways. Jessica talked to a bunch of people about how they've been using them in their business. And we're using them in the paper as well to try to link people to some of our multimedia content. So next time you open up the Pulse, if you see a little box that says scan me, that's a QR code. Give it a shot and see where it takes you. I promise it won't be that big of a surprise. Most of them are, are pretty well labeled. <laughs> yeah, hopefully we match the right QR code with the right content. <laughs> right. Yeah, that would be fun. And then one other thing I want to talk about that kind of segues us into what's going on this weekend is uh, Northern Door Pride just had their event and you went, correct? Yeah, I was there last night. So you have Open Door Pride down in Sturgeon Bay. That's been going on for, I think, 
this will be the fifth year. Do I have that right? Yes, I believe so. And it has slowly grown and gotten a, become a more prominent event. Even last year, COVID really put a wrench in the growth of it. But then uh, this year, Owen Alabado, he works at Wickman House and Trixie's. He formerly worked in uh, or still does pursue acting and theater and singing. He launched in a Northern Door Pride event, not to like compete with Sturgeon Bay, but just like, hey, a lot of people in Northern Door can't make it down to Sturgeon Bay on a Saturday in midday, especially everyone working in the service industry. So he, he said, hey, we need to have some representation up here. And really in the span of two weeks, put together this great event with raffles and beverages for sale. And actually, I think it was all based on donations and raised $5,000 last night and drew about 200 plus people to the Sister Bay Village Hall for a pride event in downtown Sister Bay. And it was, I mean, it was really cool to see the number of business owners that were represented there, the number of businesses who pitched in, and just like the the people from the community that turned out to just show their support and and be a part of the party, really. It was a great event. Yeah, that's great that there's another opportunity for people to get out, especially, like you said, on a Tuesday night rather than on a Saturday afternoon when people are, you know, stuck inside bars and working. But the Open Door Pride Festival, like you had mentioned, is happening this weekend as well, and it's going to be mostly virtual. So they will have live music that will be streamed on their Facebook page. They'll also have a number of videos and presentations. But there will be a live component in Martin Park in Sturgeon Bay, Mm -hmm. though they're not encouraging live large groups or anything like that. They're expecting to see people down there and they're looking forward to seeing people and celebrating in the park, but also trying to live stream the festivities in the park and people can check it out uh, on Facebook. They can also watch on YouTube after the festival is concluded. They're going to keep it up there. So if you can't make it to the Pride Fest or like Kathy Greer said, who is the founder of Open Door Pride, I spoke with her and she told me that by putting it on YouTube, it gives people an opportunity to dip their toes in who might be interested in Pride. But for whatever reason, don't feel safe going to a festival or want to see if it's for them, they can watch it from the comfort of their home and they can decide, hey, this is something that I might feel comfortable doing next year. It just increases the accessibility of the event. Yeah. And I think, you know, as I was sitting there last night now, I'll be going down to Sturgeon Bay on Saturday as well. I was just struck by how far we've come, you know, and I think it was 2004, 2005, when uh, Wisconsin voters voted to ban gay marriage. And that has since been lifted by the, the federal courts. But at the time, that was such a such a big blow for the movement. And it was so disappointing to so many of my friends to see that happen in Wisconsin, which we, we thought like, hey, Wisconsin, good people, we're not going to vote for this. And then even before that, you know, back in 99, 2000, um, we had a bartender, and I hate to do this, Back when I was at Husby's again, I know you hate this, but um, it's my favorite. I love the old stories, (laughs) but we had a bartender who had grown up here and moved away from the county. Basically, he moved away because he felt he couldn't be himself. He couldn't come out in Door County. He couldn't tell his family, moved away. And 16 years later, he came back and was looking for a job. And much to my regret, I doubted whether or not we should hire him because I'm like, oh, yeah, we basically have a bunch of working carpenter guys coming and sitting at our happy hour every day. And at that time, it was like. How is this open gay bartender going to go over behind the bar here? And we did hire him and he was great and honestly basically saved our business because he was just such a great personality. And I think he opened up a lot of people's eyes to, you know, the other was, you know, and that it wasn't this terrible thing. You know, it just, just kind of made people accept, oh, okay, maybe. And, and it sounds horrible to say this, but like, oh, maybe gay people aren't that bad. You know, well, because yeah, of, it's, you know, they're not the other. They are the the person serving you at the bar. They're your bartender. Mm-hmm. They're the person bagging your groceries or your doctor. They're your nurse or, you know, everybody just like you. It's just, you know, maybe they 
they don't talk about their identity as much. Yeah. And this bartender that we had, he, his name was Darren Dobner, and he, he struggled with it. And over time, you know, it's nice to see 20 years later that it's come around. And unfortunately, that bartender of ours, he died of a heart attack probably nine months after he started working for us. But I was at that event last night in Sister Bay, and I couldn't help but think like how much he would have loved that event and how much he would have loved that, you know, there's pride flags outside of businesses throughout town in Bailey's Harbor and in Sturgeon Bay. And then you have the proclamation in Sturgeon Bay declaring it Pride Month. And you think of what these steps that we're doing right now and the acceptance that's finally starting to happen that, you know, there's probably some 15 or 16 year old kid in the county right now who's not going to feel like they have to move away and can't come home and can't tell their family who they are and disappears from our community for 15 or 20 years out of fear. You know, that's still going to happen. It's not all perfect. It's not all fixed. And everyone's individual situation is different. But, you know, those things that this community is finally doing and being willing to do are probably helping a lot of people that they'll never know they help, but they're, they're changing lives. And it's, it's really cool that people, what Kathy Greer and Owen have done in Sister Bay to facilitate that happening. Right. Yeah, it, uh, it sounds like it was a really great event and Open Door Pride this weekend should also be a really cool event. Even if, you know, a ton of people don't show up to Martin Park, as I said, they're not encouraging large groups, but it should be fun for everybody who does. And, and I will up. say this for people who are afraid, and I know they're not encouraging, and, and anybody's choice as a, a festival organizer is their own and their own comfort level. We did do the beer festival and the Spring Classic bike ride this past weekend, and it was great. Outdoors. I didn't see anybody wearing masks, and, you know, if this were a year ago, I would, that would have been like, what the heck? That would have been so, so scary. And it was really great to see and be normal again and see a lot of people together again, having fun. I mean, honestly, the question didn't even pop into a lot of that. We didn't hear from a single person who asked us about it, Yeah, which is maybe that's good. Maybe that's bad. But, you know, it felt safe. It felt good. It was outdoors. You had your circulation and everything. So it was just really a big relief to actually do something like that again. Well, it's cool to see festivals returning, right? The, the festivals that we missed last year coming back. But there are actually two brand new festivals this weekend as well. There's the Soulgrass Music Festival that's up on Washington Island. Yeah. which is going to be kind of a big mix of bluegrass and funk and folk and all sorts of really cool music up on the island over two days. They have a bunch of different bands that are coming up there. Uh, Vanessa McGowan put together a Q&A with Armchair Boogie, who's going to be performing over it uh, or over the festival weekend. And they're also encouraging people to bring their own instruments and kind of jam, like as is the, the tradition on the island. Everybody jams with each other. And so they are... <laughs> They're encouraging that as well. So that should be a lot of fun. So if somebody wanted to go there, do you do you have any sense of like, are there campsites or hotel rooms available up there? I know in the mainland that things are pretty well booked up, but I have no sense for what it is on the island right now. I'm not sure either. You would think that there's probably room to camp and to go out and, and kind of enjoy it. it. It's a two-day festival weekend, so you'd probably want to come and stay overnight on the island. And I feel like camping is the way to do it. But yeah, it would be interesting to see what capacity is like on the island or if this is going to be like one of their bigger weekends yeah so i would just say call ahead <laughs> yeah for sure yeah see make sure you're going to have a place to uh and if you are going up to the island for the first time for an event like this uh make sure you pay attention to the ferry times and yes. what time the ferry is leaving because it may be that you go up for the festival and then can't get back home yeah so that has happened to me <laughs> keep that in mind the other festival that is debuting this weekend is the Times of Future Past Festival that's happening in Kiwani. And it is something that I'm really excited for because I am a big fan of Renaissance festivals. I went to the Renaissance Festival every single year on my birthday for like 
10 years in Minnesota. So Minnesota has a great Renaissance festival. And I know that Wisconsin is famous for theirs and Bristol as well, but I've never been. Have you been to the Bristol Renaissance Fair? No, I have not. You don't want to go to the Renaissance Fair? I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm sensing some unease. I, well, no, no. I, it's not that I wouldn't go. What is that? What's the movie? Are you talking about role models? Yes. <laughs> I do love that movie. I do too. And what's what's the restaurant down in outside? Oh, Medieval Times. I have yeah. been to Medieval Times. I, I did take my nieces and nephew there and I did enjoy it. But you would not go to a Renaissance Festival? I'm not saying I would not go. It's just not top five on my list. Oh, they are they are the best. Absolutely the best. Good food, good drinks. Lots of people having fun. Entertainment is great. And this is not a Renaissance Festival, but it is similar. Right? It's an outdoor festival, except a Renaissance festival is very much based in medieval history. This festival is anything and everything, sci-fi, pop culture, history, nerd, all of it. So this might actually be a good place for you to get your feet wet <laughs> in the Renaissance Fair because you can go and be like, oh, no, I'm a history buff, not a medieval, <laughs> you know, arms and armor nerd. So I take it you and, and Grace are both going to this? I know that Grace is. Grace put together the write-up on it for this week. I will, I want to go, but I'm going to be alone <laughs> with Oliver. So maybe he comes with. Yes. Why wouldn't he be able to go with? I mean, there's no reason why he wouldn't, but he does have a very specific time limit. I don't know if I can get an hour <laughs> out of him at a, at a festival like this. Uh, but that's going on over the weekend, too. Pop quiz, Times of Future Past. Do you know where they get their name from, Miles? No clue. It's from an arc of the X-Men in the 80s. There's an X-Men comic called Days of Future Past. You need to get Matt Markon back on this podcast. I know. Yeah. I miss talking about comics with Matt. Uh, longtime <laughs> listeners of the podcast will remember our tangents talking about nerd stuff. <laughs> and I do miss it. You can call him in for a couple of minutes every couple of weeks. All right. I'll, uh, I'll get it out that way. <laughs> or get Steve Gretzmacher in here. For those who have read Steve Gretzmacher's columns in The Pulse and before that in The Door Reminder over the last 25 years, you may not know, but Steve Gretzmacher is a major comic book nerd. Yeah, he is. He's a lot of fun to talk comics with. He came over to my desk the other day with like a big comic book, like what comic book stores use to order comic books. It's a big catalog. And he slapped it on my desk and was like, check this out. There's some really cool stuff in it and there was some really cool stuff in it so when steve grassmacher is not doing deep dives into sales tax figures he's just reading comic books there it's you an go interesting combo in his personality right a couple other things that are coming up the peninsula players announced their season uh starting on july 20th they're doing two shows this year rather than the five and they are tally's folly and romance and d so they'll be coming up and getting their shows together soon also in the theater world i saw the fisherman's daughters at Northern Sky. It was my first Northern Sky show outside, and it was a lot of fun. Yeah? Yeah, it was. I, I had ideas of what to expect. I've seen videos of their shows and that kind of stuff before, so I knew what the space was like. But sitting out in Peninsula State Park and watching a show about the origin of Peninsula State Park was really cool. Like, just from a, a historical standpoint, being like, ah, this is how the park was founded, and now I'm sitting in it and watching a show. So it was cool. Is it basically like they built Eagle Tower and then the park was formed around the tower? Yeah, that was uh, that was the way it was. No, uh, it was about uh, the, the main crux of the show, and I won't go into it too deeply here, is about um, the government coming in and trying to get everybody to sell their homes who yep. are on the park. And there are two sisters who hold out and don't want to sell their house, and they're the main characters. Hmm. So if you ever wondered about, I believe that there's some remains of the house that are in the park still, Huh? that's the story of them. It's um, Sarah and Nora Peterson. Okay. Probably recognize the name. Well, I, I know some Petersons. Well, of, of course. <laughs> I, I didn't mean, know Sarah, though. No. Um, this, was, this was probably before your time. <laughs> I'm sure she was great. <laughs> a couple of things that are happening. 
Actually, that does that does sound really interesting to like go to the play, get some entertainment, learn some history about the park because I've written about the park a lot. I know a lot about the park, but like there's just so many more things to learn about Peninsula State Park. Right. And also just like what does it feel like to just be at a show? It's interesting because it's an outdoor show, right? So it feels a little bit different than you might be used to going to see a show inside. Being outdoors they're kind of separating people out. I mean, there is nobody on either side of us, but Northern Sky already has bench seating as it is. Mm -hmm. So it's not that hard to spread out at Northern Sky anyway. Um, I know that they're limiting ticket sales, so people had some room to spread out, but I would say the audience looked maybe 65% full. Okay. So, and and it was most likely a sold out show. So it's not like- Very good. It was just, you know, less people. But yeah, it was was great. It didn't feel weird to me at all. Like I said, because it was an outdoor show. The world is coming back. That's true. A couple other things people can check out this weekend. Tom Gronfeld went down to check out Factory Made, which is an exhibit at the Miller Art Museum. Uh, and I just wanted to mention it briefly because Brett Cosmiter is featuring some of his fine art drone photography in it. And uh, if you are a fan of seeing Door County from above, Brett Cosmiter's got the hookup for the cool drone shots and they are on display down at the Miller. Yeah, Brett does, you know, we see him a lot in the office just like grinding on video editing and going back out to get shots that he needs to get to to finish up some of the many projects we work on. So it's really cool when he actually gets a chance to to work on his photography and like the fine art side of things too. I think it's a great outlet for him <laughs> where you're like, oh, I'm not on deadline. I can actually just do this because I want to, because it's cool. Well, and fine art drone photography too, which yeah. is which is a whole different beast and is really cool because it's not just about like, when you see his work in the paper or in the magazine, a lot of it is, you know, expository work, right? This is a person that we're talking about. This is a place that we're talking about. But his fine art work takes into consideration a lot more stuff. So one of the, the shots that I saw of it is just ice shoves moving through the middle of the frame. Mm-hmm. And there's no sense of place or anything in it. It's just visually really cool. Yeah. And, and that's what you start to look in patterns and textures in the landscape rather than showing location. Yeah. It's not just like, Hey, here is Sequest Orchard. It's like, here's an orchard from above. And just like, look at the configuration of the trees and the lines and things that are in there. And that's my terrible way of describing art, by no, the way. No, but that, that uh. is, that, that's <laughs> accurate. But like, for those who don't know, Brett Kozminer is the lead guy for our sister company, Peninsula Filmworks. And we do a bunch of videos over the last five, six years for destination door county for different businesses in the county for door county economic development corporation and then also in-house here for stuff we just like to do for fun here at the pulse but brett also takes a lot of photos for us the drone photography which we use quite often in the pulse but also does the kind of feature photos now for door county living magazine and some of our cover photos for the pulse so multi-talented guy Right. Also does a lot of voiceover for our videos. That's <laughs> which true. He, which he originally hated doing, but now he's just stuck doing. If you're familiar with the kind of low dulcet tones of yes. our videos, that is Brett. <laughs> Last thing I wanted to cover before we head out, 4th of July is right around the corner. And Miles, how many times have we been asked the question, where's the parade? Oh I want to know about the parade. Yep. Facebook message, an email here. You've probably heard people screaming it at you out <laughs> on the street. <laughs> While I sleep. Right. Where's the parade? Here's the parade. Bailey's Harbor is not doing their parade. They are doing a block party instead, which should be really, really fun. Egg Harbor is doing their parade, and Kiwani is doing a veterans parade. Okay. So if you want to go check out parades, those are your options. When is the Egg Harbor one? Is that afternoon? Like 1.30? Egg Harbor's parade is on the 4th of July at 1.30 p.m. 
And if you want to check out two parades, Kiwani's parade is the day previous on July 3rd at 6 p.m. So you can see both parades and also take in multiple fireworks this year. And that's my favorite part about 4th of July in Door County is that you can see fireworks on the 3rd, on the 4th, and then also on the 10th, which is pretty great. Yeah, and I think a couple of years ago, it was like seven straight days of fireworks around the county, but some of them have dialed it back. Right. So there you go. Uh, We will have a ton more 4th of July information in next week's Pulse on July 2nd. But for now, there is a brief primer of things you can look forward to if you're planning your weekend in advance and you want to hit up as many fireworks shows, as many parades and get as much good food as possible. (laughs) Then you'll have that guide in this week's Pulse. Well, then with that, Miles, thank you so much for chatting with me. And I look forward to chatting with you again soon. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you so much for listening to the Door County Pulse podcast. If you want to support us at The Pulse, check out doorcountypulse.com shop, where you can get a weekly Pulse subscription, purchase some incredible Door County artwork from Pulse artist Ryan Miller, and much more. We hope you've enjoyed the Door County Pulse podcast, and we will see you next time. <laughs>